0: We're going to wrap up, uh, in a way, we're going to wrap up this series we've been on called Faith. And I say kind of because next week will be a very, very similar uh, type of series that kind of piggybacks off of this idea of faith. We're going to finish the kind of the pro, if you will, instead of the con, which will be next uh, next week, this series called Faith. And this is week four, so week one we looked at what saving faith is, uh, why it's important, and how we can experience that. In the last two weeks, we've looked at a couple of examples of major, major faith. People who risked everything for their faith in God. People who put everything on the line, knowing that God would come through. Not hoping that he would, not wishing that he would, but knowing by faith that he would, and he did. So today we're going to look sort of at the inner workings of faith in our lives. We're going to look at three examples Uh, from scripture on what we're going to talk about. Two of them are pretty uh, well-known stories. The one in the middle, the meat of the sandwich, maybe the less, uh, the least known. Uh, But we're going to look at three stories today about this idea of how faith really works and how we play a part in that working, So what I want to do is, as kind of a launching point is, is get to the book of James because I want to look at this issue when it comes to faith and this scripture in James specifically compared to our opening week when we looked at Romans and Paul's view of faith and see how these guys seem to be saying different things and we're going to work through that as we kind of launch uh, this final week of this series on faith. So James chapter 2 is where we're going to start and verse 14 of chapter 2 James says this. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Skip down to verse number 18. James says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And he says, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. So, the immediate context here and the immediate issue that comes up many times theologically with James chapter 2 specifically is well, Paul in Romans talks about the total opposite of this, right? He says, We're saved by grace through faith, not by works. He goes into great lengths in most, if not all, of Paul's writings to say, No, 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 it's not your works that save you, it is faith and faith alone. Nothing else, it's faith, and it's not faith plus anything, but James seems to be saying, no, faith plus works is what's necessary. So the question is, are they contradicting each other here? Like is Paul reading James and saying, oh, "I'm not sure about this guy, you know, Jesus' half brother here. I, he's a little off." And is James reading Paul and he's saying, "Paul, you're cramping my style here. I have my own delivery that I want to share and you're kind of messing it up and you're 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 changing things." So is that what's going on? I would say in fact it's the opposite. They don't go against each other. They work together quite perfectly. Because Paul, when he's talking about faith in Romans and through most of the epistles, he's talking about saving faith, what we talked about the first week. We We are saved by grace through faith, not by works. But then James comes on the tail end of that and says, hey, but now that you've received faith, you're saving faith through faith, right? That does result in stuff after that. It does result in works, so he says you need both. He says you, someone will say, show me your faith apart from works. That's a pretty weak faith, James would say, and I think Paul would agree. So I'm not saved by works, but I am saved to do works. That's what they're saying when you put them together. So that's the immediate uh, issue with James. But how I'm going to kind of twist this just a little bit to get us launched off of how we're going to take this idea of faith working today. And that's really with this statement. It's similar to what James is saying, but we're going to tweak it just a tad bit for our discussion today. And this here's the main idea I want us to grab this morning. We don't work for faith, but me, we must work for faith to work. Okay? We don't work for faith. That's what Paul's saying all along. But what James is saying is we must work for faith to work. So how that works, we're going to look at how that works uh, today, again, with three examples in scripture of how we have to activate our faith. It's not just an automatic thing where if I believe hard enough, God will do everything for me. That's not that's kind of James is saying that's faith apart from works. We have a responsibility in our faith to work, to work it out, to do something, to take some sort of next step. Some sort of faith action is involved, I believe, to activate what God wants to do through faith. So the first example that we see and it's early, early, early on, like early in Genesis is a guy named Noah. We know his story very well. Noah is a great example of Work plus faith makes things happen. So we know the story. God is going to destroy the earth because all the earth is wicked and they're corrupt and they're violent and they're evil. He's like, I'm going to wipe them out. Only Noah and his family are righteous on the whole face of the earth. Can you imagine that? Only eight people in the entire planet are righteous. That's pretty extreme, but that's what scripture says that it was like. It's you think it's bad now. I mean, it's like, whoa, only eight people on earth are righteous. So God says, hey, I'm going to make a way to save you. But I need you to do something for me. Right. There's work involved in faith. So in Genesis 6, 14, uh, God says this to Noah. He says, build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. This is just like the first set of instructions that Noah gets. He's got a lot of work to do. Okay. So uh, theologians estimate it took Noah and his three sons somewhere between 50 and 100 years to build this boat. So while they're doing that, he says, Well, why are you, know, you don't have anything else you got to be doing. You're building this huge boat. Let me just say so the boat is about 500 feet long, about 85 feet wide, and just over 50 feet high. It's, it's a large uh, wooden construction. And four guys <laughs> with uh, very minimal tools and know how are going to build this thing. So he says, so, so while you're doing that, I need you to gather like all the animals, basically. Uh, I don't know how this, how long this took or how this worked. Like, did they have to construct pins to keep them in until the boat was finished? Hey, we're talking 50 to 100 years. How do they know when to do this? I don't know. We don't have any, uh, record here of exactly the details, but we know there's a lot of work involved. And then he says, not only that, but you got, you're going to be on the boat for a few months. You got to make sure you don't starve to death. So he says, make sure you gather enough food to survive you and your family, And so he's got all this huge, long list of 50 to 100 years worth of work. He's he's a busy guy, but he's got to do it. He's got to do the work. So think about it this way. What if Noah had said, you know, God, I just need you to save us. We're righteous. We're holy. We believe you can. So just rescue us. He would have drowned. There would have been no one left. There was work involved to activate his faith and think about the faith involved in the work as some would say there's been no rain until that point we don't know that for sure but we do know there's not been a flood like this before or since so what begins to happen after 50 100 years pass from this moment in genesis 6:14? something the world has never seen yet noah is preparing nearly 100 years ahead for something that's never happened before That's faith. He's building a huge boat, and there's never been a flood, and people are probably giving him weird looks, and they're probably saying some weird things. There's faith involved in this work. It's not faith or works. It's faith and works. Faith is required to do the work in Noah's case. It requires the work. So what God is really saying here um, to Noah is what I believe he's saying to us, and that is simply pick up a hammer. That's really the message for Noah, simply, is pick up a hammer. That was Noah's job. That was the work Noah was called to do, simply pick up a hammer. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but that's just step one, right? If there's no hammer, there's no ark. If there's no hammer, there's, nothing, there's no salvation for them. The work that's involved seemed huge, but it started with just simply picking up a hammer, being willing to do the work to activate your faith think we can learn a lesson from Noah in that so and, and we know in the end that he picked up the hammer they did the work through faith by faith and God came through and saved them so the second story that maybe is lesser known is in second chronicles chapter 20 so by this time uh God's people are split. Israel is in the northern kingdom, and Judah is the southern kingdom. So Jehoshaphat, what a cool name that is, he's the king of the south, south side, all right? So Jehoshaphat is the king in the, in the south southern kingdom, and uh, they have an issue on their hands. They get a report that there are three armies that are teaming up to come and attack Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah. And obviously, Jehoshaphat's like, this is, not, uh, this is not good news. Now, what you read after this account at the end of 2 Chronicles 20 is sort of a summary of Jehoshaphat's reign. He reigned for 25 years, and he was kind of an okay guy. I mean, he wasn't as evil as his father was, but he wasn't the greatest guy either. He did some good things spiritually and for the nation, but he wasn't the greatest guy. But in this moment, he gets desperate enough that he seeks God for help. So he calls a fast for the whole nation. He says, hey, we got trouble on our hands. We need God to bail us out big time. He goes out in the courtyard in front of the temple and prays this huge prayer. And basically his prayer is, God, we're in trouble. Would you save us? And there's a guy who's in this crowd out in front where the king is. His name is Jehaziel. He's only mentioned in Scripture this one time. It says, The Spirit of God came upon him and gave him this word. And it starts in uh, verse 15, 2 Chronicles 20, 15. So Jehaziel says, Listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Hmm, There's three armies teaming up against us. We're not prepared. We are afraid, right? He says, don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. That sounds good, right? That sounds amazing. But guess what the next thing he says is? Tomorrow, march out against them. Wait, 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 I thought the battle was God's. What are we doing marching out? I thought he had this. Why, why are we getting armor at all? Why are we not just waiting at home, hunkering down, waiting for God to rescue us magically? Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. Woo! great, thanks, God. But then he says this, take your positions. I'm so confused, God. You, God says I've got this, but go out to battle them. God says you won't have to fight, but take your positions. God, I don't. I'm so confused. What are you trying to say? What are you trying to do here? You, you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow. Again, God, I'm so confused. What, are you going to handle this, or are we going to handle this? I don't know what we're doing here. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. And so as confused as I would be, I can imagine Jehoshaphat's probably very confused. Is God going to do this or are we going to do this? Like, how is this going to work? And all God says is just go out there with your army and just watch. So they go out the next day as God instructed. And what he does is. Uh, He kind of gets this word from God again as they're out there. God basically says, hey, I want you to get like a bunch of singers out there and put them in front of the army and they're going to just sing some songs. Good job, Stephen. That's you, buddy. All right, so. Go out in front, these singers, what are they going to do? Like the first, there are now our human shields? I don't know, God, this is really morbid. Why would you do this to these poor singers? They just want to sing praises, right? So he says, hey, have them sing, and then just wait and watch. So they get their armor on, they go out, they put the singers out in front, they begin singing as the army is, the three armies are coming toward them in the valley. And then scripture says, as they're coming, as these people are singing out in front, the three armies get somehow so confused, they kill each other. They turn on each other, and they kill each other, like, completely. They're all gone. And can you imagine if you're the army of Judah, and you're just standing there while they're singing songs, and you're watching these armies kill themselves? you're probably going to be confused yet again. What is going on? And you're probably like, "Whoo, this is good. They think that we're down there already, and they don't know. I mean, I don't know what God did in their brains or their minds or their, I don't know, but he did it, right? But here's the thing. They had to show up, right? That's the lesson from from this instance. They had to be willing to show up. That was their work. They had to be willing to put their lives on the line to maybe go into battle because they're like, I don't know if God's going to completely do this or if if we're going to do it and he's going to empower us. They could never have imagined we're going to be singing some worship songs and they're going to kill each other. They would never have thought that. You couldn't make that up if you tried to. Yet that's exactly what happened. But the work for this army, the work for Jehoshaphat was go out, just show up. Can I say for us, it's, it's kind of the same way in your life. Whatever battle you're facing in life, God will not fight a battle you're not willing to show up for, okay? Because faith is involved to show up. That's what activates this process. He's not going to let you just sit back and twiddle your thumbs and say, okay, God, he's, you're going to have to show up. You're going to have to show some faith. You're going to have to maybe take a risk, take a chance, in the battles that you face. So the question is maybe how, what does that mean? How do I show up in whatever battle I'm facing? Let me give you a couple things just very quickly. Uh, One easy one, how about we uh, pray about a situation instead of complain about a situation? That's an easy way to show up. I'm not going to complain about how terrible this is. I'm going to take this, this worry to God in prayer. Because me complaining about it, me griping about it, isn't going to solve anything, but prayer can change things. When I take that complaint and make it something that God can work with, he can do what cannot be done. How about we believe instead of worry? Again, Jesus says worrying doesn't add any, a day to your life. It doesn't make anything better. In fact, it does the opposite of that. But again, faith, belief in God's ability to do what cannot be done is powerful. So we don't want to complain but pray. We don't want to worry but believe. And maybe it's, a, maybe it's a, little, a little step that you can take, and we're going to talk about that here in just a second, but maybe there's a little thing you can do. Again, all they had to do was show up. They didn't have to draw a sword. They didn't have to pull back a bow. They had to show up and get a few people to sing, and God did the rest, but they had to actually be there willing to fight. Faith doesn't run away. Faith shows up. Faith doesn't quit, but faith is stubborn. We have to show up. The third example of faith working as we work is the story that Stephen talked about, we sang about this morning, uh, and it's in Matthew 14. So the disciples are out on a boat in the Sea of Galilee, and like there are often, lots of storms in that sea based on the terrain and the elevation and all those types of things. So they are in this boat, and there is a huge storm that comes up, and they're just trying to stay afloat. They're trying to stay alive. And all of a sudden, one of the guys elbows another guy and says, hey, look out, look out there. Do you see anything? And maybe it's John, or I don't know, looking out. "Uh, No, I don't, and so he elbows Andrew. Hey, do you, you, look out there. Am I seeing stuff? Do you see a person out there in the middle of the sea? And so they look, and they keep the, it looks like it's getting closer and closer, like, yeah, there's somebody out there, and they think it's a ghost, right? They, 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 there's, they can't imagine a person can walk on water, period. They can't imagine that a person's going to be out uh, walking on top of the surface. Now, if there's a person drowning, like, help me, save me, that's different. But they see a person just calmly, serenely walking on the water in the middle of this storm. So Matthew 14, 26 says, When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. He's not in the boat, okay? He's the guy on the water. He says, Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you and I can just... I can be like where Peter is in this, okay? Uh, If it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. So what Jesus tells Peter is the same thing he's telling us. Take a step. Faith requires taking a step. Now I want to defend Pete for a second, right? Because Pete gets a bad rap. Because when Pete gets over on the side of the boat, he starts to walk on the water. Something that cannot be done. In the middle of a storm in the Sea of Galilee. Can't, those conditions aren't conducive for walking on water, are they? But yet he does. Now, the focus of the story is usually what happens just a couple minutes later. He sees this. He's like, oh, yeah, we are in a storm in the middle of a sea, and this is not good. And he begins to sink. He loses faith. He takes his eyes off of Jesus. His faith shakes to the point where he can't stay on top of the surface anymore. We focus on that part, but can't, let's, just, let's just sit in this moment for a second and realize Peter walked on the water with Jesus, toward Jesus. How does that happen? Because he took a step of faith. That's all he did. He took a step, and he walked toward Jesus on the surface of the water. And he's the only one who did it. Why didn't the other 11 say, oh, that's cool. I'm just going to jump over and do it too. Why? There, so, again, we, we give Peter a really bad time in this story. He's the only one that tried it out. Like, he's the only one that took the step. The other guys are, like, huddled together in the boat thinking they're going to die in a storm. And he's out there walking on the water in the middle of a hurricane. So Peter's got some faith here, and he, all he did was take a step. Jesus said, "Yep, yeah, come to me, and he does. He risks everything, life and limb, to walk on the water with Jesus. So let me ask What step of faith maybe do you need to take in your life? And it's going to vary from person to person and situation to situation, but there's always a single step toward God in faith that we can take no matter where we find ourselves. Let me give you some examples. Maybe you need a financial miracle. So maybe a faith step for you is to make a budget. You think, well, that's not very spiritual. It's a faith step because you're going to start to say, hey, this money's got to go somewhere and I need to be responsible for that. So maybe the step of faith God's going to have you take is something that maybe he's not even really going to do necessarily, but he's going to empower you to do. Might be where that step is. Maybe it's a relational need that you have. It's a kind of this thing that's been pulled apart and maybe you're part of that, and maybe you're an innocent bystander, maybe you've been hurt, and, but you know there's something off, and you have that longing in your heart to reach out to them, maybe that step of faith this week is to give them a phone call, send them a text or an email. That's a step of faith, because you can look really foolish reaching out to somebody who you have, it's kind of been broken. Maybe you're going to feel rejected again and again if they don't answer, they don't pick up the phone. So there's a step of faith, and it's a little thing, right? It's not, a text is not a huge deal. A conversation is not a huge deal, but it really f- it feels like it sometimes. Uh, maybe you have a a, hel- a need with your health. Maybe God's going to say a little thing along the way like, make this tweak in your diet or change this thing about, you know, any, say anything with your health. And again, it's, our, it's on us to take that step. Jesus didn't jump in the boat and pull Peter over and say, hey, let's do this, buddy. Nope, he was already out there, and Peter had to climb over the side of the boat and start walking. Like, we've talked about every situation. Noah had to pick up the hammer. The army had to show up to fight. Peter had to take a step. We're no different. We have to take that step toward Jesus to activate the faith that is within us. Maybe it's a job situation that you're, you're praying about a change, or you feel a change, or you're like, I really want to make a change, Uh, maybe you get out your resume and polish it up. Maybe you take that interview that you don't feel like, "Mm, I don't know if I should. Take a step of faith, right? Nothing's going to happen if we don't take a step. We're going to be stuck here where we are, and God just like, I I mean, I need you to take, I need you to do something. I need to see some sort of want to here. He doesn't just come again magically rescue us from all of our Issues he requires that we take that step of faith, and it may seem small, and especially if it's somebody else's step. Oh, that's not a big deal. You can do that. And but when it's me, it's that's a big. It's a big step. It's a leap. I feel like I'm in you know on the last crusade with Indy and his dad. You know, and uh, I, I've got a long way to go. But what right? I wish I had that clip, Stephen. <sighs> okay, sorry. Anyway, you've probably seen the movie, right? What does he do? There's this huge distance here that he's got to cross. He's got to start somewhere, so he takes that step, and guess what? He crosses over to the other side. It's the same way. It's one step after another after another, and we'll talk more about that here in just a second as we wrap it up here in a few minutes. So I do want to close it with two two lessons to learn from these three stories. I know we've had kind of a main idea from each one, but there's two overarching things I want us to take away from our time together today from these three stories. The first one is this. The first lesson that we can learn today is, you may only see your work, but realize that God is also working. Okay? So you're like, okay, God, why are you asking me to make the first move? Why are you asking me to make the first step? Why do I have to do this? You're not doing anything. And God's like, whoa, no, 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 no. I'm doing plenty. Like, you may not see it, but I'm doing pretty much 99.9% of this. I'm asking you for the .1. You can do it. That's all I need, just a little bit, just a step, just a move, just a little bit more. And it's the same with all of these examples that we talked about this morning. So Noah had to pick up a hammer, but God's the one that sent the rain, and God's the one that gave him the blueprint to build this ark. It was his plan all along. All he needed from Noah is just kind of build it, and I got the rest of this covered. So with Jehoshaphat and the army God drew up and executed the plan, right? He just, I just need you to show up, just be faithful, just trust me, just, it may seem foolish, it may seem weird, it may seem like it's probably not going to work, that's when God's at his best, okay? So God said, if you just show up and are willing to just see what I'll do, you'll see what I'll do. And with Peter, again, Jesus was already walking, He was already out there. He was showing, hey, it's possible. I'm doing this. Ha-ha, everything I can do, you can do, so just come on out. Peter, though, had to take that step, but he already saw it's possible. What what is not possible is because he's doing it, and he's saying I can come out with him. So Jesus is already doing the work. He's already set the example. You may see that you're the only one doing work, but that's all you can see. What God is doing is behind the scenes. What God is doing is setting up the foundation for what is yet to come. What God is doing is step two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. and he needs you to just do step one, and boom! He's got the next several steps already kind of figured out. He's got the really hard part covered. He needs you to do just that little thing to take a step. And then Ephesians uh, Stephen quoted this this morning in worship, Ephesians 3:20 20 and 21. Paul writes this. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, or if you grew up like me, you're remembering King James, right? Uh, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. According to his power that is at work. That's important there. We skim over that. We gloss over that. His power is at work. He's not saying, you do everything and then get back to me. You no, know, he's saying, I've already like prepared all this other stuff. you got to take that next step. you got to make that one move. you got to tweak that little thing and then just watch what I will do. His power is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is ready and willing to work on your behalf. He's not sitting back waiting for you to impress him. He's just saying, hey, you know the next step you need to take? Take it. You know the next move you need to make? Make it. He's just asking for that next step because faith is not passive. Faith is active. We are a required participant in the work that God wants to do. And even when we don't see what he's doing, we know by faith, He is working. The second lesson that I want us to see as we close today is this. It's an encouraging lesson. Understand that God is not asking you to complete the entire journey, but just to make the next move. Many times we sabotage our life of faith by getting too out in front of God. I'm worried about step seven, and I need to take step one. I'm worried about how it's all going to turn out. And God's saying, just do the next little thing. It's not that stop worrying about the outcome of the outcome of the outcome and just take the next step. Make the next move. That's all I'm asking. We can get too far ahead. And here's what happens in all these three situations that we've talked about. If they get ahead of what God's going to do, they're going to mess it up. Right? Think if the army got ahead of God and they said, we're going to go and charge them. God didn't say to charge them. God said, stand there and show up and just stop. And then he said, okay, go ahead and sing. If they had gone out there, outnumbered three to one against God's command, they would have been slaughtered. It'd be a different ending of that story. Don't get ahead of what God wants to do. You will mess it up. Every time I try to get ahead of what God wants to do, I mess it up. So let's just Take the next step and let God tell us what's next after that. Let's just do what God wants us to do in faith, by faith, through faith, and trust, again, by faith, in faith, through faith, that he'll take care of the next thing. And when he needs us, he'll let us know. When he needs us to do the next thing, he'll let you know. When he needs your help, he'll let you know, right? So don't get ahead. Don't get overwhelmed. Just trust in the next thing. Make the next Move. There's an old phrase, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Okay, all these cliches are absolutely true. If I look at the totality of the mission, if I look at the the final product of the ark that's 75 years in the future, I may drop the hammer and walk away if I think about how much battling I'm going to have to do when maybe God's not going to have me do it if I just stand still and wait and watch like he asked, if I look at, think about how all the strategy and figure it out, I, I'm probably not going to show up because I'm going to be scared. If I think about all of the storm like Peter, like the storm that's around me, the impossibility of a situation, I'm probably going to sink much like Peter did. But if I can focus on the next step, the next phase, the next moment of the situation and trust God in it, it'll be okay. And let's close with this. Maybe you've tried and maybe you've trusted for a long time. And maybe you've been waiting for a long time. Maybe you've prayed a ton of prayers, and you've tried everything you knew how to do, and you're holding on, and I'm being as obedient as my disobedient self can be, and I'm trusting as much as my mistrusting self can trust, and I'm just about done here. I don't have a whole lot of faith left. I mean, I'm trying, and I want to, and I I, I really deep down believe God can, but I'm growing tired. I'm growing weary. I'm about to throw in the towel. Here is some encouragement. Two verses as we close. And the question is, how much faith does God need to work with? How much faith does God really need from you to work with? Matthew 17, 20, Jesus says, you don't have enough faith. They're trying to cast out a a demon, the disciples were. And they said, well, why couldn't we cast it out? And he says, you didn't have enough faith. Jesus told them, I tell you the truth. If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. What would be impossible? Nothing. Moving mountains is not possible. Jesus says, with faith the size of a mustard seed. I have it in my pocket here. There's ten mustard seeds in this baggie. You probably can't see any of them, even if you have great eyesight, right? Because my hand's covering it up. But now you probably still can't see them. They are so tiny. They're minuscule. Jesus, and there's 10 in here. I got 10 mountain-moving opportunities in this bag right here. Okay? It's all you need. I got 10 right here. Jesus says that's how much faith you need. Later on in Luke 17, verse 5 and 6, he uses the same analogy in a different way, a different example. The apostle said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. The Lord answered, if you had faith even as small as a... Mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. That's not possible. Mulberry trees don't grow in the sea. That doesn't work, but Jesus says if you have one-tenth of this faith, you could do that. Nothing would be impossible. Hey, so I'm going to hand this little uh, container around. I want you to grab one of these bags and just pass that along. One bag, because I want you to take this with you today. I want you to take with you ten times the amount of faith that you need for anything to be possible in your life. You get one of these little baggies. And if you want to try to grow a mustard plant, you got ten tries at it, okay? So, you know, if you're like me and you can't grow anything and you kill uh, every plant that you get near, uh, then you got ten tries. So here's the deal. You, this, what's, what you're going to take with you as you leave today is ten times the amount of faith that is required for God to work in your life. 10 times these are tiny they are small they seem insignificant they seem like nothing can come from this and jesus says if you have faith the size of one of these you can move mountains if you have faith the size of one of these you can you can tell trees to go grow in the sea and it will do that so we can when we combine that idea of this much faith with taking the next step it's, a, it's unlimited what God can do in your life, what he can do in my life. If I just have enough faith to take that one next step to meet the need that I have, God will do what cannot be done. God will perform miracle upon miracle upon miracle. If we will just pick up the hammer like Noah did, if we will just show up to the battle like Jehoshaphat and the army did, if we will just take the next step in faith like Peter did with just one of these in faith, God will take care of the rest. That's the power of faith. That's the exponential power of faith in your life. The result is not up to you. Just take a load off. Ease your mind. You don't have enough power, ability, and know how to make it happen anyway. So stop it. Just trust God with one of these and with your life and your situation. Put it in his hands. Take the next step he's calling you to take and just wait and see what God will do with your faith, now that it's activated, now that now that you're starting to get in a groove, and you say, "Okay, God, I'm taking this step, and I'm going to trust you," He can do anything. He can do what cannot be done. He can do what everyone said would not be done. He can make a way where there seemed to be no way. No matter how dire the straits, no matter how the circumstances look, that's all we need. One of these. And the next step, that's the recipe for faith to work in our lives.